Maybe the Pinkertons are my next career. When I was in Japan, one of the people on our trip let me know that he believes I'm, quote, in my villain arc. I think this was <laughs> mostly when I bought a bottle of whiskey in the hotel gift shop to bring on the bullet train and just drink from the bottle the entire time. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 89 of The Memory Jar. As always, we are here to remember the cards, the decks, the people, and the stories that make magic the game we love. I'm David Prestwood, and with me is my co-host, Christian Wright. Christian, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. As of this recording, I did a Vintage Cube draft earlier tonight, and I'm excited for Minneapolis. I'm pumped. MagicCon Minneapolis is going to be great. We're going to see each other in person. I'm super super stoked for that i think in a week so this is gonna be awesome i am so excited about that i hope you're ready to sleep in a small boy's bed while i kick him out and he can stay in his sister's room we'll talk about all that stuff later we'll talk a little about magic con minneapolis later as well this week we're just going to talk about a bunch of stuff like a magic potpourri of some kind we have modeled this one after tv shows in which two talking heads yell at each other but they're friends in the end before we explain too much of that why don't we go ahead and get this out of the way Time to crack open the memory jar. This week's Scryfall random card is Psychic Impetus. Originally from Commander 2020, but reprinted this version is a common from Commander Legends, The Battle for Baldur's Gate. Two and a blue for an enchantment aura. Enchants a creature. Enchanted creature has plus two, plus two, and is goaded. And as a reminder, that means it attacks each combat if able and attacks a player other than you, whoever casts the spell, if able. It also says whenever enchanted creature attacks, you scry two. So a nice little toy, make somebody else's creature attack any player who's not you, unless you eliminate all the other players and then it can attack you. It actually has to attack you. So yes, playing with fire. That, that has happened to me before with goaded creatures. It is the worst. This is kind of like a fixed version of the original Vow Cycle that was released in Commander. I can't remember if it's the first one or the second one they released, but they kind of made it worse too because the original Vows you couldn't attack you or a planeswalker you control and then they made this whole keyword that forces other creatures to attack other than you and mm -hmm. then took out the planeswalker part so i hate it boo boo <laughs> yeah that that vow cycle was from the original commander set i thought this cycle in commander legends was pretty cool it is a little all over the place in terms of quality but it's just a neat little thing. I mean, these are never going in one of my commander decks. I will always cut them because there's something more that I want to do. But I like the idea of putting these in a commander cube environment, maybe, as just some nice deck filler and a way to play some interesting games. Yeah, let's make whatever creature you have attack. Is there a favorite Vow or Impetus of yours? Yeah, I like Shiny Impetus because... It makes treasures and treasures are broken. That's about it. Everything, you know, everything else is meh. Yeah, I don't know. Meh. Meh. Treasures are very nice. I'm, I'm pretty into uh, getting as many treasures as possible as anybody who has played against any number of decks that I have with recurring Dockside Extortionist will, will tell you. They're going to keep printing cards that punish that and I'm going to lose to all of them and I'm not going to care. No cares. No cares in the world. Just die to your treasures. You're like a dragon. Ooh. but cooler yeah it's like a dragon's horde you know got too greedy left a little spot under its arm where it wasn't diamond encrusted a little smog reference for you there uh i don't really have anything else to say about psychic impetus it's fine it's a fine card yeah 
<laughs> All right. Well, then on to the main show. There's a classic, and it's weird to call it classic, but it's been on for a super long time and we're old. It feels like it started yesterday. Anyway, there's a sports talk show called Pardon the Interruption, where there are two talking heads, Washington Post columnist Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon, and they discuss sports topics. They have a rundown on the side of what they're talking about, what topics are coming up, just to kind of let people know where they are. But they go through, you know, take a few minutes for different segments, and then they run out of time and they move on to the next thing. Good Luck High Five, the magic podcast with my fellow Minnesotans, Megan and Maria, has done something similar to this. And there's also been other magic content in the same vein, but I don't mind ripping other people off. No, no, I mean, it's it's a classic for a reason, right? Like it was revolutionary. We're not going to say how many years ago, but, um, you know, everyone, every other sports talking head show kind of follows the same format. So let's do it. Yep. Let's just take some quick topics off the cuff and we'll go from there. Okay. Well, in classic PTI style, I'm going to set a timer for us and we'll, we'll hit on some topics. And since we're a podcast, we, what we'll do is we'll announce the segment before we dive into the topic, because you can't actually see anything in a menu on the side. So I'm going to put some time on the clock and why don't I kick us off for some discussion? You ready? Yeah. All right. So first in uh, terrifying news, as of this recording, Wizards of the Coast sicked the Pinkertons on a YouTube creator, Old School MTG. So he said that he had bought some March of the Machine collector's boxes, but was sent collector's boxes for March of the Machine Aftermath instead, the set that is small and not out yet. So he opened up those boosters, shared a video on YouTube, thought this was somehow okay, and it was not. It was not okay. So the end result is everyone who cares to know now knows the contents of this upcoming mini set, and Old School MTG was visited by some folks who journalists have reported were the Pinkertons who confiscated the product. And so he took down the videos, Wizards is going to send him the correct product that he actually ordered, but mostly everybody's pretty skeeved out by the whole ideal. Christian, was any of this okay? No. Like, <laughs> I get that they have to have some sort of investigative arm for this. It's kind of, it's not surprising it's outsourced, but it's outsourced to an agency that historically does skeevy and underhanded stuff. I just, bleh. Yeah, the Pinkertons are like a 150-something-year-old private security firm slash detective agency, they'd probably call themselves. And they have a long history of things like, you know, union busting back during the labor disputes of the 20s and 30s. And also, you know, union busting more recently for Amazon. And so the fact that they were involved, I did, I do think skeeved some people out. So more things are coming out because of this. Like journalists have recently reported Wizards hired the Pinkertons when the Ixalan foil sheet leaked. And maybe they are the best people to do this or the only people to do this, but it doesn't seem like somebody that we would want our hobby to be engaged in. Yeah, there's definitely other investigative agencies. You don't have to pick the one with the worst PR. They're probably the cheapest. I doubt that, but probably the cheapest. Oh, I doubt that. Yeah. yeah. But like the reason we're bringing this up and, you know, as longtime listeners know, we're averse to talking about current events in our podcast as much as possible, but we wanted to talk about this because A, it literally just happened. B, we just had an episode about famous magic leaks. <laughs> <laughs> we like, did. Like, what the how how could this happen? Like the the coincidence is terrifying. Yeah, so I wonder if if the Pinkertons have been involved in a bunch of other stuff. If that doesn't underline for everybody that magic is a billion-dollar business for Hasbro, a giant company. I, I don't know what's going to remind us of that 
more than hiring these guys who are credited with like foiling an attempted assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Like this is some serious, you know, behind closed doors, skull and crossbones, cloak and dagger kind of stuff. And maybe that's just what you do. I've never run a multinational corporation in which I'm trying to protect things like trade secrets and my IP and, you know, the secrecy of future products. But I don't know, maybe this is what everybody does. Uh, yeah, I, it really reminds me of something out of like a bad TV show. Like it, it's such a stark contrast to like this children's card game. At the heart of it, I love this game to death, but it's a dumb card game with dragons and angels on it. And it's not like, it's hard to think of it as something that is so guarded and secret and is consequential for millions of people worldwide but yeah this is like this is a big deal like this is something that needs to be protected at, at the highest cost well i think that one of the reasons that it's hard to believe is because we've seen so many leaks all the time there are a million leaks it just keeps happening and so the the idea that this is some kind of well-kept secret just doesn't seem to hold up but when you have this process where you have printers and distributors and product can just get out in the world or there can be an employee of some company anywhere down the chain who gets this information and has reason to share it or just thinks it's cool to share it or accidentally shares it or somebody takes pictures of cards in a landfill. I mean, there's just like a million different ways this can happen. And so maybe this is their way of saying, hey, stop, stop leaking our biz. Yeah, it, it reminds me of uh, there was a book about the MP3 format. The journalist wrote this whole book about the creation of the file format and it's how it helped the music industry and all that but the most fascinating part of the whole story was they traced where all of these album rips and leaks were happening in the early mm -hmm. aughts and it was people who were sneaking out the master cds or the burned cds i should say that were going to get sold at stores for these different artists and so they would take it out and people and all these artists were mad because all these CD releases were getting released weeks ahead of when the supposed release date was supposed to happen and no one could figure it out. And it was literally just guys taking a CD jewel case with the CD in it, putting it down their pants and like walking out of a CD pressing plant in North Carolina. And this reminds me like whenever I hear these stories about like, oh, we accidentally sent you the wrong set to open or hey we found we went to a landfill or a recycling plant and found shredded magic cards it has a bit of that aura to it like it's just the dumbest thing possible and that's what's causing a lot of heartache for like wizards of the coast executives so speaking of that as the wildness of like how these leaks work the story the youtuber old school mtt tells is he had no idea these weren't on the street yet like he just got these from his guy who said hey I'll give you these like $4,000 of mom collector boosters. Uh, so this raises the question, has set saturation finally hit its peak? Great question. I mean, I have trouble keeping track of when products are coming out, what products are out yet, like when the commander sets are coming, what commander sets are tied to sets. And I'm literally out here creating content and I, we have a Twitter account that's solely dedicated to this. So if I can't keep it straight, I'm not shocked that distributors can't keep it straight. Regular players can't keep it straight. So maybe the pendulum has swung a little bit too far as far as we're forcing a million different sets out the door with jumpstart and unsets and all of these different things. We have talked about this before, certainly. 
I have a little anecdote about this. So as I said earlier, I did a vintage cube draft tonight before we recorded the podcast. There were some players who had not played magic in a while or were older pros and had not like seen every single printing of every single card that's come out. And one of the people kept commenting on how weird the art was. And I said, yeah, because there's 15 different versions of cards now. And like, no one can memorize all of them. So if you see a secret layer version of a card, it could be a real thing or it could be fake. You have to just kind of have some faith that it's an actual printed card if you're in a competitive setting, right? Like you can't have the mental Rolodex to memorize every single card printing, right? So I, I it just goes to show like... I, when you can't keep when the distributors themselves now can't keep track of which is what which is what we've kind of gotten to like i think you're right the pendulum has swung too far yeah i agree with that as a primarily limited player there are times where i look across the table and i'm like i'm sorry what card is that because i might not have seen a showcase version of that it's much harder for commander players where you just don't have that same card recognition that you might have otherwise had and that might be getting worse if Aftermath is a trial balloon for this kind of mini set where we're just going to throw out 50 more cards that didn't fit in the set or that we want out there for commander or whatever reason. That's potentially even more challenging. Secret layers being released all the time. I mean, they just released a bunch of secret layers in a super drop, and I didn't even realize that we hadn't seen a bunch of them before until people were like, oh, did you see this thing? And I'm like, I thought we saw that months ago. Apparently not. Apparently they're just, they're new, but they're, they're coming all the time. This started way back in Battle for Zendikar. They've always wanted to like change this up a little. And I think we've reached that saturation endpoint where, as you said, I can't tell what's what. And one of the things I think it is leading to is this concept of churn. This is a term I, I learned from a friend who's in the gaming industry. And basically, if you haven't heard of it before, it's this concept that you get players interested in your game, they play it, and then something gets them to not play it anymore. And they go on to the next thing or the next product. And... I've known people talking about learning these new card types for uh, March the Machine, and they're like, I don't want to know. There's just too much information. Huh. This is hurting my brain. This is getting too complex. There's too many cards to track. I'm just going to like check out of this and not play it. Yeah, the aftermath thing wigs me out a little bit, especially after we already had the Midnight Hunt and Crimson Vow kind of putting two sets in one slot, and then they did an all-black and white version of those, and we're just more and more and more and more and more and more. The only thing I like the idea of in Aftermath is say this was a smaller standard and not an eight set standard, if people were still playing standard, that it's a way to mix it up a little bit with something extra, but that might work online. It's not really going to work in person for people or for their wallets. No, and especially now that they're taking other IP and just putting the reprints on the bottom or even not just doing new IP period. It's impossible to tell too. Like, what? How does this Dracula card actually function as a magic card? Oh, it's really this other magic card, but it has a different name. It's just so. Confusing. All right. Well, let's change gears. With all of this hullabaloo about set leaks, yet again, once again, we're not talking about the set that just came out. In this case, March of the Machine. It's only been out for a little while, like a little bit over a week in digital platforms at the time we're recording here. And at least the consensus for a lot of folks is the set is pretty fun to draft. Where are we at on the format? Oh, I think it's cool and wacky. I've done some really cool things just in my limited time playing it, and I want to play more. Uh, I couldn't say that about one. I kind of, you know, I got a couple of drafts out of it, and I said, I think I, I think I understood what, you know, All is One is about. And I, I just kind of want to do cool and wacky stuff with Mom. What about you? What do you think? 
I'm into it. I think the fact that you have aggressive decks that are playing battles and want to flip the battles and your control decks need to have good defensive speed to stop people from flipping battles and then playing big stuff in the late game. And the aggro decks also have big stuff in the late game because you're just taking the bomb rears if you can get them. It, the set is bomby, but it's not Crimson Vow bomby, where there are four or five rares that are really going to change the way games turn out that are just unbeatable. It's like everybody has bombs. And in this set, there are actually good ways to deal with them. I'm just shocked that we have a slower format after all of these formats where there are really good one and two drops and you really have to be on the board right away. I did not draft All Will Be One nearly as much as I draft normal sets because I just kind of got tired of it. The You really just had to get out there because of the toxic stuff, because some of the oil stuff could go crazy and you couldn't play these slower decks. Now, I mean, I'm playing a bunch of six, six drops in a deck and that's kind of what I want to do. I, I want to tell a story from watching you play Sealed last night, as long as we're talking about this format real quick, because this is my favorite thing. So correct me if, if any of this is wrong. Opponent plays Atali, the new giant dinosaur. And what Atali says is when it enters the battlefield, each player flips over the top card of their library until they flip over a non-land card, and then you can cast those cards without paying their mana cost. So opponent plays this and you're like, cool, I have held up mana for C double, which is, two blue blue and you can either copy a permanent in play and make a token of it or you can copy a spell on the stack and you're like cool you have an atali i'm gonna copy it i'm gonna make an atali and i'm already like this is great this is like the most me thing you're copying something and what you're copying is a big dumb dinosaur i love the previous atali i love this one so you're like cool i'm sure your opponent at this point is like oh man this was so cool i had an atali now he has an atali so you copy the spell Yours goes on the stack above theirs, so it resolves first. And you hit from your deck the six-mana counterspell and counter their Atali while it's still on the stack. And I cackled like a witch on Halloween, just like <laughs> dying laughing. Your opponent of snap conceded immediately, obviously. But uh, that is the kind of stuff that happens pretty often in this format. Oh, yeah. All I know, it was it was wild. My opponent conceded, and I was like, "Whoa, I have Natali! It was so great. That was so fun." I will say, I played <laughs> it a little more today when I took a break or two, and I lost the game twice because I was going to deck myself. Yeah, that was super oh, fun. Uh, that's so nice. That's just exactly <laughs> where I want to be. The card that lets you uh, pay two to put cards on the bottom of your library from your graveyard. Seems like better in this format than the original version in Strixhaven. The one in this format, I can't remember the name of it, but it's just the completed version of the same exact card from Strixhaven. And it's like, hmm, yeah, might play that. Yeah, yeah. It, what's the joke? Any format where Rito Lantern or Soldevi Digger, which is the same thing, it just puts cards in your graveyard on the bottom of your library. When those are good, mm, you got a fun format. <laughs> Let's move away from actual physical magic cards. And let's talk about movies. So magic has tried, to, they currently have a TV show in production, supposedly. I don't know what, what happened to that. I think it's still being worked on. But another Hasbro property in Wizards of the Coast property, which is Dungeons and Dragons, just had a big budget movie released. And it was shockingly well-received, features brand new characters, a lot of D&D &D references. Uh, I watched it. I loved it. My 
a fiance who is not a gamer loved it. She loved the movie. It works as a movie on its own. So should we have a magic movie actually, or should we still avoid it at all costs? Great question. I think that animation show is probably dead because I was pretty sure it was supposed to come out in 2022. I'm sure the pandemic would have slowed that down, but also it was animation. So you can animate from, from your home these days. Anyway, uh, should we have a magic movie? Yeah, I think we could do it. I think that the fact that the Dungeons and the Dragons movie had no recognizable characters, ties to D&D and references are one thing, but yeah, you could totally do any story you want, whether it's an existing story or you could do the thing that League of Legends did with Arcane, which was a great show I recommend everybody watch, where it's just, yeah, we're just going to make up a bunch of stuff that's maybe not canon for the game. Yeah, I, I'm for it. The stories are great. It's a totally unknown property to so many people. You could call it whatever you want, but the Planeswalker concept, I mean, I would watch an, a show about just like people fighting Eldrazi. It sounds great to me. Yeah, I, I'm i not going to spoil anything with the movie, but the thing that worked about it was that it was relatively breezy. Like, mm -hmm. it was also a throwback to how they used to make movies in like the 90s and the aughts before it, everything became franchise tentpoles that had to make bajillions of dollars. It was just like, you know, if this was on TV, which will inevitably end up being on like TNT or AMC or something, I would sit and watch through it. It's good. It's just that type of movie where you're like, oh, this is just a good movie. It's not serious. There's no stakes where you're going to have to watch this Dungeons and Dragons movie to watch the next Dungeons and Dragons movie. It's just self-contained. It's fun. They don't make movies like that anymore. That was just the biggest thing I took away from it was if they could do a magic movie like that, that'd be a home run. But I mean, who knows? See, if it were me, <laughs> rather than doing a movie, what I would want to do would be like an eight to 10 episode series with each episode being contained on a particular plane about a particular planeswalker, what was going on on the plane, individual stories kind of like the star wars visions anthology mm -hmm. or the um the matrix did something like that with these kind of individual stories that took place in this universe uh the animatrix is what that was called yes it's all anime stuff that was very cool you could do that and then all of those characters from that could come together if you wanted to do a movie or another series where it's one of these big avengers endgame style events that happens across the multiverse just just think about it you know wizards hired me hire me to write it whatever yeah exactly and the thing too is that uh the people who worked on it were also are the dungeon dragon movies were also definitely comedy people so it's not serious it's great all right well let's move back to cards reanimator my friend is having a moment with the tracks of grand unifier being released in phyrexia all will be one everyone is trying to put her from the graveyard onto the battlefield across all kinds of different formats and this has pushed her above $20, which is a little spendy for the fact that you kind of want four of them in most constructed formats. So what are some of the best budget reanimator targets? Do you want to suggest some? We go back and forth. Maybe? Yeah, let's go back and forth. Yeah, so Great. I'm going to start with one. And granted, these are all pennies, less than a quarter for a lot of these. So you can't complain that they're expensive cardboard. I'm going to start with Sphinx of Athun five blue blue for a five six flying sphinx this was originally printed in a magic corset way back in the day uh, i want to say m10 i pulled up the cheapest one which is from a dual deck a speed versus cunning <laughs> but it has flying 
When it enters the battlefield, you reveal the top five cards of your library. An opponent separates those cards into two piles. Put one pile into your hand, the other pile in the graveyard. So it's an enter the battlefield factor fiction on a stick. It's great. Yeah, that seems great. Uh, yeah. With an extra card, which is even better. Yeah. And it turns out it was Magic 2012. So you were you were a little head there. Still great. Love that. Like, yeah, and honestly, like, who doesn't love factor fiction? So it's, it's just factor fiction on a stick. Come on. My first one's going to be Endraise Forerunners. This was originally from Ravnica Allegiance, but there's a very cheap version of Commander of Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. It is five green, green, green for a seven, seven creature boar with vigilance, trample, and haste. When it enters the battlefield, other creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain vigilance and trample until end of turn. So it is a cheap crater hoof behemoth effect. It's an overrun effect. The fact that it itself has haste means it's a great thing to reanimate on your own turn. And yeah, put it in play. Let's go. Exactly. Like it does almost the same thing as Crater Hoof, crater hoof Behemoth for 1000% less cost. So why not? My next one's another blue one. This one was inspired by my love of Momir Basic, which is on Magic Online, one of the best formats they've ever created. It's Hoverguard Sweepers. Originally printed in Fifth Dawn, there's a Commander 2014 version that is a dime, 10 cents. It is six blue blue for a five six flying drone. When it enters the battlefield, you may return up to two target creatures to their owner's hands. So it's like, you know, it's not Holebreaker Horror. It's not Tides About Tyrant. But it's still like, it bounces two creatures. That's really good in a lot, in any format. Not just, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. It's like fantastic in EDH. It's fantastic in cubes. If you want to go cheap out of cube, like, super fun to play this. Yeah, especially busted in Momir Basics since everything is just a token. So you just take two other creatures off the board. Yeah. My next one is going to be Zatalpa Primal Dawn, originally printed in Rivals of Ixalan, but reprinted in one billion and a half commander sets, approximately. I believe it has actually had four different commander set printings. This is six white, white for a 4-8 legendary creature Elder Dinosaur. It is Flying Double Strike, Vigilance, Trample, and Indestructible. So it is the perfect keyword soup. Why would you reanimate a Baneslayer Angel when you can reanimate Zatalpa Primal Dawn? Fun fact about Zatalpa... I saw LSV lose a game to this way back in Ixalan Sealed. So if you can kill LSV, it could kill anyone at your table. Next is, this one's a fun one. This is my first non-blue card. I'm a big fan of this one. This is Charnel Horde Worm. It is four black, red, green for a 6-6 six, six worm. It has trample. And whenever it deals damage to an opponent, you may return target card from your graveyard to your hand. So it's a regrowth effect repeatable based on combat damage but uh it's got a big butt it's hard to block i used to play this way back in the day this was first printed in conflux this was in my first edh deck uh the most recent printings in commander 2018 and it's 15 cents it's it's just a good value card I, i'm a big fan of it i got a classic for you this is ashen writer originally a mythic in theros it got reprinted in double masters 2022 and is now a quarter this is four white, white, black, black for a 5-5 five, five creature Archon. It has flying, and when it enters the battlefield or dies, you exile target permanent. So get one going in, get one going out, reanimate it again. Keep doing it. Exile all their lands. It's just target permanent. Gotta love that. Yep. Yep. I play this in reanimator decks today, too. Uh, the next one is fun. I put it in all caps in our show notes because it is one of the <laughs> best names in Magic. It is Doomgape. So Doomgape was printed in Eventide. It is four Golgari, Golgari, Golgari. So that's black, green, black, green, black, green hybrid for a 10-10 elemental. It has trample. At the beginning of your upkeep, you sack a creature. It's not a may. You have to sacrifice a creature. 
but you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. So it's like a way to gain life. It's a sac effect. It does a lot of stuff. He has expensive, but you're reanimating it. It's a fun card. Uh, the Mystery Booster version is the cheapest one out there. It is a reprint of the Dual Deck is versus Golgari one. It is 20 cents. Well, I'm going to give you one that is banned in Commander, but is playable in other formats. And the latest version from the Brothers War Retro Artifact Printing is a whopping 45 cents right now. This is Sundering Titan. Eight generic mana for a 710 artifact creature golem. When it enters or leaves the battlefield, just like Ashen Rider, choose a land of each basic land type, then destroy those lands. So if you're playing some colorless stuff, if you're playing Tron, if you're in your monocolor deck where it might destroy one of your lands, but you're just going to blow up everybody else's lands, yeah, yeah, pretty nice. It pairs well with a very expensive card called Conjurer's Closet. It's an artifact that blinks a creature at the end of your turn. Uh, yeah, that's dumb as hell. My last one is back to a blue card. No white cards for me. It is Diluvian Primordial. This was printed in Gatecrash, which is the most expensive version, but it's had a couple of reprints since then. You can get a super cheap one for a little over a quarter. That is the Commander 2021 version. It is five blue blue for a... 5-5 five, five Avatar. It has flying. When it enters the battlefield for each opponent, you may cast up to one target instant or sorcery card from that player's graveyard without paying its mana cost. If a spell cast this way would be put into a graveyard, exile it instead. So it's like a Snapcaster Mage slash Dire Fleet Daredevil on steroids. In multiplayer games, this is guaranteed to be incredibly good or sad, but I hope you reanimate it when it's cool. Don't reanimate it when like there are no cards in graveyards. That, that just seems wrong. You successfully identified a card I cut from every commander deck that I initially put it in. <laughs> I started in all of them. I cut it in all of them. Ah! All right, I'll give you one more. This one's a dollar. So we're going spendy here. I want to talk about it because it's from the new set. It's Hoarding Broodlord, a rare for March of the Machine. Five black, black, black for a seven, six creature dragon. It has Convoke. It has Flying. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a card, exile it face down, then shuffle. For as long as that card remains exiled, you may play it. And spells you can cast from exile have convoke. So it's a nice way to tutor something. As long as this is still in play, then it has convoke. So you can cast the other thing more cheaply, which you may be wanting to do in a reanimator deck. It's also just kind of a large threat. Yeah, cool card all around. Yeah, this is super fun. I opened a copy in my pre-release packs or pool. I can't remember. And I want to put it in a couple decks. Okay, we're going to wrap up this part of our episode with a toss-up. So we're just going to ask, what is cooler? And we're going to go back and forth. So I'll start. Dave, what is cooler? Alt art cards or borderless cards? Uh, if you're talking alt art, like the Planeswalkers they print now, that, those are also borderless. So those. That's technically correct. <laughs> the best kind and the only kind of correct. Yeah, for me, it's borderless. I can't tell what the cards are when they have the alt art treatment. Like the, It's not the same art, but the borderless is the same. It just goes to the border. So uh, that one. Japanese cards or Russian cards? Uh, Japanese, but honestly, neither. There's so many cards, and I don't know what they do. I need to read them in English. I'm so sorry. What you fool! You? The answer is Russian. <laughs> it's Russian. My draft basics are the Theros Beyond Death Constellation lands in Russian, of course. RIP Russian cards. Wizards has announced that they're no longer printing sets in Russian. I will miss you very much. As someone who took Russian in college, it was a nice way to keep up with my language just a little bit. Dang. Okay, you're sitting down to get uh, across your opponent. Would you rather see a rare playmat or a rare life die? Uh, playmat, easy. 
big fan of some nice play mats. I usually use those for my LGS, but I recently kickstarted uh, Niels Ham's Kickstarter, and he has Baleful Strix play mats. You'll be getting one of those in the mail from me soon. Uh, very excited. Oh, sounds lovely. I love it. I will go the opposite, though. Life die, because I feel like it's harder slash cooler to find or make your own like d20 um this is the simpleton in me who doesn't really do arts and crafts so yeah i think it's just cool to like look at it and it also isn't distracting so a play mat would distract me like full stop it has distracted me before maybe play worse yeah i i strongly disagree i'm not a fan of life die i only keep my life totals one of two ways either with a notepad and pen or a sideboard abacus that's also correct I don't know. I've seen too yeah. many anime yeah. playmats. Correct. <laughs> oh my god. No. Okay, that's reasonable. You said rare playmats, not gross playmats. That's fair. That's All fair. right, Christian. Knowing the contents of an entire set before release, or knowing nothing about a set before a pre-release. Uh, nothing before a pre-release. It is fun to see the cards when they first come out, and knowing the sets inside and out means you're a try-hard gamer, and that's awful. Don't be a try-hard gamer. Just have fun. What about you? I mean, I am a try-hard gamer. I'm still going to answer nothing. I can't help myself. I'm always going to look at the cards. Also, we record a show about the cards, so it's kind of good to know what they are. And I'm in multiple group chats and things in which we talk about the cards. But I do love the idea. I mean, playing the first ever Mystery Booster event in Richmond was incredible and just opening the packs and seeing something totally new. So if I'm ever able to do it, if I can miss a whole spoiler season, yeah, I'm all about that. Yeah, I guess we can't when you mention it that way. (laughs) Theoretically. (laughs) Okay. This one is a little more obscure. Um, would you rather find a line against your opponents that wins you the game that's really tough, or would you f- just want to start a non-deterministic combo but fail to win? So you just do a lot of cool stuff, but nothing happens at the end of the day. Well, I already know what you're going to answer, but no, I'm going to find the line against my opponents that wins me the game because, first of all, I win the game, and it turns out that I like winning. But secondly, I like to find the line. That's that's that kind of problem solving. I know that you're going to be the other way. You yeah, know, I'm the other you way. You can't change yeah. it at this point. No, it's it. I like to do a lot of nothing because the whole idea of like, oh, if you just like played this card and drew this card and then did this card, it's like I that that doesn't happen to me. That never happens to me. I'd rather just like do a lot of cool nothing that might win. Yeah. So, but there's no like. There's no like thought to it. It's just like, well, I'm going to draw more cards or I'm going to deal damage to this more to do this thing more, right? Like I'm going to sacrifice all my creatures. It'll get me a win. Oh no, it doesn't. This is really awkward, but I still had fun. Here's an impression of every commander game I play with you. You start tapping and then untapping a bunch of stuff and drawing cards and putting things in your graveyard and exiling various things. And somebody at the table will say, are we dead? And you go, eh probably not and then we're not we're just not dead you're just like <laughs> moving cards around to basically no effect in every single game yeah i just okay. want you to know that i see you okay i, I appreciate it Mwah. okay all right would you rather have a vanilla 3-3 or a flying 2-1 oh vanilla 3-3 it's just bigger wow i'm so i'm just surprised you answered that i mean i'm i'm vanilla 3-3 man centaur coursers forever baby mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vanilla three threes. They're just cooler. Okay. Unglued or unstable? Oh, easy unstable. That was a great fun draft format. I've already told the story on this podcast in which I played Time Vault and Voltaic Key against an 11 year old thanks to Spike and took all the turns. Like, come on, man. Unstable was dope. 
That's true. I'm going to say unglued because I like the old borders and I like rolling die. This, okay. This is Wait, it. you don't like rolling die? We just did, last week we did our top 10 swords list and you specifically said you hate dice and magic and that's why you left Sword of Dungeons and Dragons off the list. I will fight you on this topic, Christian. Uh, unglued is different because it doesn't matter. Oh, so. oh very yeah. convenient. Okay, okay. Good yeah. to know. Yeah. And plus, we're not going to go back into like time and play unglued as a draft format. It was awful. So, like, objectively. We're definitely awful. not going to do that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Passing an expensive card to a kid in a draft or playing five or more copies of a card in a draft. I am an adult and I make money. So, the idea of opening a busted money rare doesn't appeal to me as much. So I'd rather have five plus copies of a card because that means you're doing something fun and doing something right. Okay. I mean, for me, it's five plus copies. I, I love to pass kids expensive cards, big bombs, cool stuff. But I love a good insane synergy draft even more than that. If I can draft five eyes of Malkator, I'm going to do that. And maybe I end up with the cool card in my deck. But what gives me joy is the stupid synergistic deck for sure. We really need to have a set again. And I say we wizards need to print a set again with lightning bolt because you haven't lived until you have like five or six lightning bolts in deck. And then your opponent goes, Oh wow, you got a lightning bolt. You go, Oh, there's more though. <laughs> yeah. I, I recently did have that actually in my last shadows over Innistrad remaster draft on arena where I drafted seven copies of Narwood Dryad, the one, one with death touch that become a three, three with death touch. If you have delirium and Played one, opponent traded for it, played one, played a second one, opponent dealt one damage to all my creatures, got two back from the graveyard, played them, continued to play. There were six in my graveyard at the end of the game, and yeah, I definitely won that game. I mean, <laughs> let's be real. So, yeah, give me, all, give me all the copies. Speaking of opening cards, opening a misprint or sun bleaching a card? Misprint. Much faster process. It's just you open the packet, it's right there. Come on. Yeah, I mean, like, I said this because it's hard to find an analog to misprints other than sun bleaching. And in ca listeners, in case you know what a sun bleaching card is, sun bleaching is you put a card out on your windowsill that has a lot of light coming to it, and you don't touch it for uh, literal months. And it takes out the color. It's really cool. Uh, but no, nobody has time for that misprints all the way. Could you just UV lamp a bunch of cards? Is that a thing you could do? Sure. Why don't we try it? All right. I'll find a UV lamp. All right. Playing after closing at your LGS or playing at a brewery? After close, because you feel like you're the cool crowd that's like, I get to play at the LGS after it closes because <laughs> I'm a cool kid. But does nothing, it, it's hard to beat brews and bad beats. Like, it's nice to have a beer and play magic, but you could also have a beer at your local LGS after it closes. So, hmm. Beat, bruise, and bad beats. I had to think about that one for a sec. That does actually make sense. Okay. Yeah, for me, it's playing after close. There's just nothing like some late night cube at the old LGS. That's that's the thing to do. Okay, finally, a classic argument that has turned magic tables upside down. Snapcaster Mage or Tarmogoy? Hellrider. Morphling. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page, but I'm not answering this question. Hellrider. <laughs> All right, well, time for the big finish, as they say on Pardon the Interruption. Before we go, as we say on 
the memory jar. MagicCon Minneapolis is coming up very soon, May 5th to 7th, and we are going to be there. Are you going to be there? Because we would love to see you. We are going to be at the venue all three days. Friday will be around, and we're going to a friend's place Friday night. Saturday will be around, and then we're heading to my LGS Lodestone Coffee and Games when the venue closes. They are doing a charity event there. And then Sunday will be around, and we'll be playing in Gavin Verhey's mystery event for part of that day. So, hey, tweet at us. Come find us. We'll give you a podcast sticker. I hope to play some games with people who have been on this podcast, etc. So, yeah, let's do it. Magic yeah, Minneapolis. Absolutely. Super stoked. Super stoked. Same thing. Same exact thing. I'm going to put a reminder to bring our stickers, though, after this we record because I forget. We also have a very long overdue thank you to a listener. Uh, Sean sent us a very lovely email that was eight months ago. We <laughs> finally checked our email just recently. We're very sorry, Sean. Uh, we want to say thank you, and we look forward to running into you in person at some point. Uh, if you're going to be at Magic Con Minneapolis, we'd love to see you there. But again, I just felt we felt really bad because, again, we found that you had emailed us eight months ago, and we're jerks. So we wanted to say thank you. Yeah, Sean had emailed us before, and we had responded, and then we kind of stopped saying the email on the podcast, so I just hadn't checked that email address in a while, and then I was like, oh no, he said more things, and it's great. We do love to hear from our listeners. Most of our listeners just respond to us on Twitter at our handle, at MemoryJarMTG, which, by the way, is where you can still find us and provide us various feedback, talk about cards you want to remember, talk about potential show topics, maybe we'll incorporate your suggestions into our fact show like we've done before. Maybe we'll ask you for some content for the podcast. We're definitely going to be taking interviews at MagicCon Minneapolis and we'll be, uh, we'll be looking out for it. Yeah, absolutely. Special thanks to Chris Yates for the logo. We greatly appreciate it. I saw Chris tonight. I should have asked him if he's still on Twitter, but you can theoretically <laughs> find him on Twitter at, at like company. That's company with a K. And until next time, may you have fantastic bar discussions about random magic stuff and we will see you at magic con minneapolis